Good morning. It is March 9th. It's another fine, clear morning in New York City, and this is your Indignity Morning Podcast, taking a look at the day in the news. I'm your host, Tom Skoka. The Senate voted yesterday to throw out Washington, D.C.'s newly revised criminal code, as expected, after Joe Biden had announced that he would not veto such a measure and would not protect the district's home rule. We talked about this before. I wrote about it yesterday some, but it remains absolutely infuriating. Dozens of cowardly scumbag Democrats stampeded to join the Republicans in trashing self-rule in the district and in hyping up a right-wing panic over crime that is the only issue on which an incredibly unpopular Republican Party is able to get any traction. Axios is reporting that House Republican leadership played Sarah McLaughlin's famously downbeat song Angel over a slide deck featuring tweets from House progressives criticizing Biden for not vetoing the bill. On the Senate side, the Times has Minority Leader Mitch McConnell gloating about how the Republicans plan to continue to rub this in Democrats' faces, taking advantage of the additional weakness and fear that they've just shown on the issue. McConnell said, nobody will confuse Washington Democrats' last-minute reversal on this one resolution for a road to Damascus moment on the crime issue. The American people are a lot smarter than that. I don't know if smarter is the right word, given how spectacularly stupid this entire episode has been, but... It is certainly true that the American people are perceptive enough to see that the Democrats are easily manipulated weaklings and fools, and that they have no loyalty to their supporters in Washington, D.C. Add in the fact that Joe Biden was too dumb to announce that he was going to betray D.C. until after the House had already voted. So even on their own cynical, supposedly self-protective terms, the Democrats left their House members exposed to ads saying that they support carjacking. And their own president endorsed the idea that, yes, they are unacceptably weak on crime. Since the criminal code revision was exactly the sort of long-considered, well-negotiated measure that the people who voted against it pretend to be asking for, the D.C. Council really should just turn around and submit the exact same bill and just keep on submitting it. What do they got to lose at this point? As it happens, while Capitol Hill was doing its fake tough posturing against crime to carry on the backlash against the 2020 protest movement, the Front of the Times reports that the Justice Department was reporting that the Louisville Police Department is infested with bigotry and abuse, a set of findings resulting from investigations brought on by the killing of Breonna Taylor. As the Times puts it, the findings in Louisville released amid a backlash against a reform movement galvanized by police killings and beatings of black people served as a reminder of the dysfunction that still afflicts law enforcement agencies. Nor will it be the last. The Justice Department is investigating similar complaints about discriminatory practices in Minneapolis, New York, Oklahoma City, Mount Vernon, New York, Phoenix, Worcester, Massachusetts, and Louisiana. And that Louisiana one's going to be real bad. Among the findings, a woman told the Justice Department she had informed police officials that a narcotics detective was extorting sex from her daughter and two other women. The accusation was labeled unfounded, but proved to be true five years later when three more women came forward with similar accusations. The detective resigned, but was never prosecuted. That's one from the Times. Another is an officer beating a 110-pound woman in the face with a flashlight over and over again after she was crying and yelling while sitting on her friend's lawn and sending a dog to maul a 14-year-old boy with no warning as the boy was lying face down in the grass. The Times quotes the report as saying, Officers stood over him shouting orders for nearly 30 seconds while the dog gnawed on his arm. The Times also reports that Mayor Eric Adams's chief of staff has gone on now to work for the real estate industry as a high-paid consultant and eventual lobbyist, after which he's expected to turn around and run Eric Adams' re-election campaign. 
There wasn't any way for Eric Adams to be deeper in the tank to real estate interests than he already was, but it's really still impressive to see the money changing hands like this. And as college basketball conference tournament season wraps up, Syracuse announced that Jim Beheim, who has been retiring as head coach in stages for more than a decade, is finally officially gone. A lesser figure might have hung it up after choking away the 1987 championship game to Indiana in one of the low points of college basketball history, but Beheim kept on underachieving until he had 46 disappointing seasons and one season where Carmelo Anthony single-handedly carried him to a title. The more time goes by, the more incredible Carmelo Anthony turns out to have been. And the Times devotes a full page of the sports section to the Gonzaga men's basketball team, which, despite failing to win the regular season title in its cream puff conference this year, won its conference tournament and will be going to the NCAA tournament, a feat the Times describes as delivering a timely reminder to the tournament selection committee and others that they should never be discounted in March. Just a hilariously false application of sports writing cliche there, Gonzaga should always be discounted in March. Whether they're a number one seed, as they have been year after year, or actually undefeated going into the tournament, picking Gonzaga not to get it done has been the safest possible pick. Maybe this year, as underdogs, they won't be able to choke it away, but the Times seems to be doing everything again to jinx even that possibility. That's the news. We will talk again tomorrow. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going, and have a triumphant day.